so as we close up the book of Hebrews, I'm sure you guys know the book of Hebrews is written to Hebrews to stop acting like Hebrews. You guys know it, right? The whole book of Hebrews, it's talking about, it's telling us how Jesus is better than everything else. Jesus is better than everything else. And now the author, the context, he's telling these people in Jerusalem, these people who grew up within Judaism, within the Jewish faith, that, hey, Jesus is better than anything and everything that Judaism has to offer. Don't go back to your old lifestyle. Don't go back just to the way you were raised. Don't go back to something just because this is what your family does or what the whole city, what the whole nation does. Continue to press forward because Jesus is better than everything else. And that's a great encouragement for us today. So Hebrews chapter 13 Let's start in verse 6 to get a rolling start. It tells us, So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. So again, the author here, he's reminding them, hey, it's all about the Lord. It's all about Jesus. Follow those people who rule over you, those people who are leading you, those people who are giving you good, sound doctrine, and follow them, live after them. And now it tells us in speaking about God's word, and speaking about theology, that Jesus Christ, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we touched on that lightly last time we were together. Why is Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever? Because if you're perfect, you don't have to change anything. You don't have to change a single thing if you're perfect. And in a world where things are constantly changing, right? I think the time periods between change are shorter and shorter than ever before, right? Things are always changing. It's always a fluid situation, right? Always a fluid situation. We got to remember, Jesus is constant. And now within doctrine, don't be fooled with the various and strange doctrines that come and go. What should we look at within doctrine, within our relationship with Jesus Christ, is that it's established by grace. Established by grace. That's a great way to read and judge different doctrines. Different theologies, different churches, are they established by grace or are they established by some sort of law? Or are they established by some sort of a party or some sort of atmosphere? What establishes your walk and relationship with Jesus Christ? You see, man will constantly bring in other works or a certain enlightenment which will make you feel more entitled or better than the other poor believers around you. Their walk and their relationship with God, it's not based on grace, the grace of Jesus Christ and Christ alone, but it's based on religion, works, and again, their enlightenment. Hey, if you would only read this book, then you would be as enlightened as I am. Hey, if you would only do these things, then you would know how much I know. Poor little you, you're stuck here, but if you would read all these books, if you would do all these things, you would be just like me, right? Or yeah, you follow the Lord, you do X, Y, Z, but do you do this, this, and that? Hey, this is in the Bible too. Are you sure you're right with God? Because you're not doing these things and these things are in the Bible too. We have to be so careful with that, family. Our relationship with God, it's unmerited and it's undeserved. It's unmerited and it's undeserved. We do not gain an assumed approval with God through keeping a certain list of rules. Right, Because you did a certain list of rules, now you assume that God approves you and your walk because you're abiding by God's list of rules. That's not the case. Ephesians chapter 2, such an important portion of scripture, right? The whole counsel of God. Ephesians chapter 2 and then verse 8 through 10, it gives us a beautiful picture of what each of our relationships with Jesus Christ should look like. What each of our walks should look like. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. It tells us, For by grace you have been saved through faith, 
and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Again, family, our entire relationship with God, it's all based on the work that he has done, the gift that he has purchased, and now we simply need to accept it and live as if we have really accepted it. Live as if it has really changed our life, changed our worldview, changed the way we see everything around us. That now instead of abiding in sin, we are abiding with Jesus Christ. And now if you're abiding with him, you're going to be able to do all the good works which he has already prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And when we are doing the work that God has prepared for us beforehand, then you will find yourself bearing good fruit. And if you're bearing good fruit, that's a great way to see, okay, Lord, I'm abiding with you, right? John tells us if you don't abide with him, you can't do anything. Can't do anything unless you're abiding with the Lord. So again, our walk, our relationship with Christ, it's based on grace. So here, within this context, again, people were telling him, hey, have you been circumcised? What are you eating? What are you not eating? Are you trimming the corners of your beard? Are you still sacrificing? They were tempting them to go back to Judaism. Tempting them to go back that ways. And then different laws, different crazy things coming in and out. And we've all seen it, right? And I love listening to one of the teachings. Every year you say, man, I, this is crazy. I've never seen anything like this, right? Anybody else find themselves saying that? A couple of years ago, holy laughter. Man, this is crazy. I've never seen anything like that. People running up at the, and down the aisles like cats and dogs and barking, saying it's the Lord. I've never seen anything like this, right? And a couple of years later, you got the biker guy. and It's always in Florida. A biker guy in central Florida, right? And he's kicking the demons out of old ladies to be able to heal them. Oh my goodness, this is crazy. I've never seen anything like this, right? And we keep rolling and rolling and rolling. And guess what's going to happen next year, family? I've never seen anything like this, right? That's just what's going to keep happening. We shouldn't be surprised. But remember, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's word, it's simple. It's plain. Yet it's never changing, and it's the most powerful thing in the entire universe. But it's not going to change. If someone all of a sudden comes to you with this new enlightenment, this new interpretation of God's word, it's probably not right. It's probably false. So for us to be careful, there are no more new truths to be added to God's word. The sound doctrine of God's word is enough. Sound doctrine Reading God's word and being able to really believe it, really live in it, really follow the context. Family, that's enough. And for some people, it's too plain. For some people, it's too boring. But hey, it works. It works. I think a great way to put it, right, is when it comes to exercise and getting healthy. How many different infomercials have we been faced with, right, that give you the keys to health and fitness? I don't know if you remember those little ab roller things, right? Those ab roller things back in the day. A couple years later, where were all those ab roller things? On the side of the road so the metal guys would grab them and throw them in their trucks, right? Because nobody wanted them. I don't know if you remember those little electric belts, those electric waistbands, right? They're going to make you into Bruce Lee magically, shock your abs into work, and man, I could sit on the couch doing nothing, and I'm going to get a six-pack, right? Where are those things? I don't know, Right? All sorts of fitness atrocities, right? Shake weights, all sorts of crazy madness, right? And yet, none of that stuff works. When you ask a bodybuilder, a fitness person, hey, what works? You got to eat healthy and exercise. I don't like that, man. That's too plain. That's too boring. That's too black and white. But yeah, that's what works, family. And it's the same when it comes to the Word of God, to a healthy church, to being able to be in a right and real relationship with Jesus Christ. Some people may say, hey, it's too plain. It's too boring. I don't like that. It's too real. But hey, it is what works. So again, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Verse 9, it warned us, hey, don't go around to different doctrines, different things that will come in and out of church like they always do, like they always have, just like they always will. And then in verse 10, and this may seem a little bit out of nowhere, but again, remember the central theme of the book. 
Jesus is better than everything, and you can't go back to the way you were once living. Verse 10 through 14, it tells us, We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. So again, we take this verse by verse. Verse 10, it tells us that we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. In this time period, Christianity, some people mocked it because, hey, you have no church, you have no God, you have no idols, you have no sacrifice. Some people thought that they were atheists because they didn't bow down to anything. They didn't serve anything. They didn't have the temple to go and sacrifice the animals to or to idols. So where's our altar? We have one. Do you know that you have an altar? Our altar, it's the cross of Jesus Christ. And through that cross and through that sacrifice, we have an access to God family that not even the high priest had. The holiest man in the entire nation. He never had the access to God that we now have as a result of the altar and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Right? We talk about it every once in a while, how the high priest one time a year was able to have access to God. And it wasn't like us that we can simply cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. No, he had to go through a cleansing process, cleaning process over and over again. He had to make sure he did nothing unclean. Then, right, we all remember they put bells on the tips of his robe and pomegranates, and they would have a rope. And as long as the bells were jingling, they knew brother whoever was still alive. But if the bells ever stopped jingling and they just heard a plop, Better pull that rope because brother so-and-so wasn't as right with God as he thought. Again, we don't have to enter into God with that amount of fear. Now he comes to us and he calls us, hey, sons and daughters. Jesus looks to me. He looks to you and says, hey, little brother, little sister, hey, you can do this. So again, now our altar, we're able to have a right with God that even those who served in the tabernacle, they have no right to eat at the same altar. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5, we could turn there, we'll look at two portions of scripture within 1 Corinthians, right? Reminding us, hey, our altar, it's the cross of Jesus Christ. It is through that altar that we have forgiveness of our sins. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 1 through 5, right? And again, remember the context. Remember who Saul once was. Remember who Paul is. The brilliant mind that he had. The books that he would consume. The handle on the law and on Greek things, on Roman things, on all of history. The handle he had. And yet, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5, it tells us, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Again, family, it's all about Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's not about wisdom. It's not about the power of men. It's not about excellency of speech. Wow, that was such an amazing TED talk, right? No, it's about the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the only way to salvation. That's the only way for someone to be redeemed and their life, their heart be regenerated and be enlightened to the things of God. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. It's only through that altar. 
That's the only way that we can be right with God. Then in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 through 24, again, hopefully you track along, you read along, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 24, it tells us, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, it's foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Again, family, our altar, it's the cross of Jesus Christ. What gives us the right to have a friendship and relationship with God? It's the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only way we have it. It's not through wisdom. It's not through knowledge. It's not through anything else but the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where the power of God is. That's where the power of the word is. And family, does this sound familiar to you today? Some, they request a sign. Others, they're seeking for wisdom. But what are we to preach? Christ crucified. Today, people, if you just say you're saved or you're a Christian, that's not enough. They want a sign. They want some wisdom. They want to add a little more to your Christianity. They want you to assign your allegiance to something a little more than just the cross of Jesus Christ. And the world, it'll look at it as foolishness. The world, to some, it'll be a stumbling block. They'll trip over it. They'll be angry and bitter. But family, I warn you, do not add to the cross of Jesus Christ. Be willing to label yourself as a Christian and a Christian alone. Right? You can't even just use that anymore. A disciple of Jesus Christ. A follower of Jesus Christ. That's what our identity should be. Again, I don't know if you've been seeing the videos lately. Mobs cornering people, eating food out in the street. And the latest one I saw, they were telling them, hey, say Black Lives Matter. Put your fist up in the air. And they were telling them over and over and over again. This lady, she stays quiet. Do you know what the next question they start asking her is? Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Are you willing to stand for that? Are you willing to say, I'm not going to bow to this mob, and yes, I am a Christian. I have the boldness to say, I am a Christian. Because family, what we're beginning to see is that the world is demanding more than just a walk and relationship with Jesus Christ. And hopefully you're willing to say, hey, I don't stand for any of those things. I stand for the word of God. And you know what is in the word of God? Justice and peace and love and forgiveness and grace and mercy. It's all within the word of God. But I'm not going to bow down to any other religion or form of religion. It's all about Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the only altar. That's the only mountain any of us should be willing to die on. The cross of Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. That is the only way. That is the only truth. And that is the only life. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. We go back to Hebrews chapter 13. And now follow the train of thought here. He tells them, hey, we have an altar which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat, right? Our altar, again, it's the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what gets us right with God. That's the only reason we have friendship and relationship with God. Then verse 11, again, think of the altar, think of the cross. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. 
Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. You see, family, the Jews, they would kill an animal. They would bleed it out. They would sacrifice it there on the temple mount or there within the tabernacle. But then they would take any remains of these animals that they wouldn't keep for meat. They would take the remains of these animals outside the camp. And anything outside the camp was recognized as unholy or unclean. Jewish people, they're not supposed to deal with anything that's unholy or unclean. Now, anything outside the camp, it's unholy or unclean. So they would take these dead bodies out there and burn them with fire. Because again, dead things were considered unclean. Just like anything outside the city or outside the camp would be considered unclean. And now Jesus, where was he sacrificed? wasn't in the Holy of Holies, it wasn't in the temple, wasn't on the temple mount. He was sacrificed outside the city because to the Jews, he was seen as unclean. To the Jews, they rejected him. He was rejected by men. He was considered unclean and disgusting to the religious leaders. And why was he willing to go through all this? That he would sanctify us. He was willing to endure all that he went through that he might sanctify the people with his own blood. He suffered outside the gate as something unclean, as something disgusting, as something terrible. As a thief, as a robber, that's what Jesus was sacrificed and put to death as. So now what are we asked to do? What should we do? Therefore, what should we do? We should go outside the gate. Let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, the chapter to the left, it tells us in verse 1 and 2, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, Endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So now, family, if he was willing to endure the cross, if he was willing to despise the shame for us, let us go to Jesus outside the camp, bearing his reproach. May we be willing to endure Whatever may come from our walk and relationship with Jesus Christ, may we be willing to endure whatever shame may come our way as a result of standing for Jesus Christ. He was willing to do that for each and every one of us. So that's why the therefore is therefore, right? If he was willing to do all that for us, now we must be willing to do that for him. There at the youth camp, I was talking with the kids because... We've, we've sort of lost track, even within Christianity, of what standing up for Christ is really supposed to look like. And each of us, we can slip into it without even thinking, right? There's many altar calls. If this is how you got saved, hey, that's great. That's awesome, right? But there's altar calls. They turn off the lights. They tell everybody, close your eyes. Raise your hand. We don't want you to feel ashamed or pressured. And accept Jesus into your life, right? This is the most important thing ever, but... Turn off all the lights, close all the eyes. If that's how you got saved, that's great. That's awesome. But I likened it to a marriage ceremony, right? And I don't think any of the ladies here want to get married to a guy that says, hey, honey, I got a great idea for the wedding. I want when I come in, you can put the lights on me. I'll come in. But when you're going to walk down the aisle, I want all the lights off. I want all the eyes closed because I don't want to feel shameful having to marry you in front of all these people, right? And then we could kiss, the lights still off. They could play the music. And then once we drive away, hey, turn off the lights, baby. All right? Then it'll be okay, right? You would say, right, it's over. We ain't getting married. This thing is over. This guy's a weirdo, a wacko, right? But yet with Christ, again, our walk, our relationship with him, it shouldn't be something that is shameful. Something we keep in darkness. Something that we don't want the whole world to know. Because again, is that what you want your marriage to look like? 
We would say there's definitely a problem in that marriage. Hey, what's wrong with your marriage? My husband doesn't want to be seen out in public with me, right? Pretty big problem within your relationship. And yet with Christ, are we willing to be out there, to endure with him, to be despised as he was for us? Again, going outside the camp, the true context here, the camp is referring to Judaism, the background of these people. So to leave the camp would mean that you were willing to leave Judaism. And everyone within Judaism would see you as unclean and unfit, disgusting, as below all the people that are living within the camp. Families at us, are we willing to be seen like that, to be despised by this world? To be looked down upon by the entire planet, by your friends, by your coworkers, by your peers. Are we willing to endure and bear his reproach? Charles Spurgeon, these are just great quotes. He tells us, it means first, let us have fellowship with him. He was despised. He had no credit for charity. He was mocked in the streets. He was hissed at. He was hounded from among society. If I now take a smooth part, if I take the easy road, I can have no fellowship with him. Fellowship requires a like experience. Again, family, we can't say, hey, Jesus, you and me, we're the same. We're connected. We're a part of the same family. But you go through all this beating up. You go through all this shame. But I'm going to be out here and I'm going to save my neck 24-7. You know, you, Lord, you see my heart. You see my heart. You, you know how much I love you. But I can't give up these things. You can't say that you have fellowship with him if you're constantly looking for the easy road out. The next quote, he says, if you can dwell with the wicked... If you can live as they live and be hailed fellow, well met with the ungodly, if their practices are your practices, if their pleasures are your pleasures, then their God is your God and you are one of them. There is no being a Christian without being shut out of the world's camp. Again, family, which camp are you in? You can't say, I'm just like you. I'm partaking of the same sins you're partaking in. Hey, world, we're the same. We look just the same. But saying, no, Jesus, I'm a part of your camp. There's no dual citizenship when it comes to being a part of this world and being in the kingdom of Christ. So again, family, may we not make excuses to not be identified with Christ and to have comforts with the people of this world. But let's have boldness. Let's have faith. Let's look like our family in Hebrews 11 and in Hebrews chapter 12. That's our family. That's our heritage is being men and women like that. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 through 27. And God's so cool. We're looking at the scripture with the youth this week. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 through 27. It tells us, by faith, Moses... When he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Family, are we like Moses? That's our family member. That's our heritage. Again, the wording here, it means Moses, he pulled out a calculator or he pulled out two scales. And he said, here's all the reproach of being with the people of God. Here's all the beatings of being enslaved by Egypt. This is what it means to take the worst of the worst of being enslaved. And he puts that on one end of the scale. Then he goes to the other end of the scale and he says, hey, this is all the glory of being in Egypt. This is all the glory of being in sin. And again, Moses, he wasn't just any random Egyptian. Moses, he was in line to be the next Pharaoh. And it's not like today. You can't just, it's not just having the most power or somebody else having the most money. No, Pharaoh, he was both. He had all the money of Egypt 
And he had all the power. So he was at the pinnacle of what this world has to offer. And he put that on the other scale. And he said, it's better to suffer the reproaches with my people in slavery, being beaten, being bruised, than suffering the passing pleasures of sin. Family, is that you? Are you like Moses saying, I refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh. I refuse to be identified with this world, and I'm going to go outside the camp. I am going to go out there with the people in slavery, and I'm going to identify with them. I'm going to identify myself with the people of Christ because that is better. And why was he able to see that? Because he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He looked at the reward. Again, family, this life, it's quick. This life is going to come by quickly. This life is not our full life. There's the seven years of the tribulation. There's the thousand-year reign of Christ. And then there's all of eternity. And the way you spend these 80 years, these 60 years, these 20 years, these 12 years, it's going to determine where you are going to be at the next 1,007 plus eternity. That's what it's all going to determine who you are willing to identify yourself with today. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14, right? What are we looking to that we are willing to be identified with Christ outside the camp instead of staying in the camp where it's safe and we're liked by all the people around us? How do we do that? Verse 14, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. And this is hard for us to explain how special the city of Jerusalem was to the Jewish people when this book was written. Again, Israel destroyed over and over again. They came back by some miracle. God alone destroyed again, taken out again, brought back there, destroyed again, taken out there, brought back there over and over again. And Jerusalem, it was the main everything. Main were the power, the politics. It's where they would sacrifice to the Lord, get right with the Lord. Again, in a city where most of the houses are one story or less, you have the temple, which is just this huge building that you'd be able to see throughout all the city. I think the only thing I can liken it to, and this is not really liking it to anything, but I think for a Cuban, it would be Havana, right? If somehow Cuba would be freed from socialism... And everything would be built up to a place where it's the greatest city in the entire earth. And now you have to decide to go back there or to be identified with the people of Christ. I think that's the only way and it really falls short, really falls flat, right? But some of you have been there. You lived in that city. You lived in that country. You saw what it once was and you see what it now is. Now imagine it being brought back to its former glory and even further than that. And now having to decide either I live here. For this amount of time, die and spend the rest of eternity apart from Christ, or I have to give up this city now. But what will I inherit? I will inherit the city that is still to come. We go back to Hebrews 11, a lot of back and forth here. Hebrews 11, verse 9 through 10. Again, what's our heritage? What do the people of God look like? Hebrews 11, verse 9 and 10. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Verse 16, it tells us, Now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Again, family, us, our heritage, you're a disciple of Jesus Christ here. You say you're going to heaven when you die. Are you looking for the city built by the Lord? Are you looking to the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ? Is that what you're most excited about? Right? Or is it the election? Is it restoring America to its former glory? Or to any other city, any other land? Where is your complete focus on? And again, family, I'll encourage you, if you're out there and you're just saying, man, the youth today, they're so lost. The youth today, they're so lost. The youth today, they're so lost. There's a ton of youth right there in that room next door. Are you willing to join kiddos ministry? 
Are you willing to join youth ministry? Are you willing to join young adults ministry and sacrifice to actually teach, to actually lead, to actually disciple? Or is it just simply saying it out there in the echo chamber? The youth of today, they're so messed up. Again, may we actually do something with the gifts that the Lord has given us in humility. But the city we're looking for is not Miami. It's not New York City. It's not D.C. It's heaven. It's the kingdom of Jesus Christ where he is ruling and reigning. And if you're right with the Lord, you will be given a job for a thousand years. Some people, they think depending what you do here on earth for the Lord is going to determine what you're going to do for a thousand years. I don't know if I can say that. But it's still scary to think about, right? Do I really want to be a janitor for a thousand years? I mean, being a janitor is cool. I'm cleaning streets of gold. I guess that's cool. But man, a janitor for a thousand years, right? But if you're faithful with one, if you're faithful with ten, it says, hey, now here is ten cities. Go, right? May we be faithful with the Lord has given us today. Verse 15, now what do we do? How should we be living? We don't have an altar. We don't have a temple. What should we be doing for our Lord? Verse 15, therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. There's still sacrifices for us to make. Even though there's no temple, there's no tabernacle, there are still sacrifices that we should be making in our walk and relationship with Jesus Christ. What's the first thing we should be doing continually? It's the sacrifice of praise to God. The fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Again, family, does gratitude just pour forth out of your heart and from your mouth, from your lips? Is that where you're at? Are you constantly giving praise to the Lord for all that he's done for you? Or is it complaining, right, about the church, the leadership, America, kids these days, whatever it may be? Or is there just a continual praise to God, gratitude, thanksgiving? That's why worship is so important for us. Worship is not the previews before the movie. No, worship, it's important for us to get here before service starts to worship the Lord that we would sacrifice to him that offering of giving thanks to his name. Offering praise and gratitude. Some people, they say, Lord, what's your will for my life? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. I'm going to go through these two quickly. And then we'll turn to Romans chapter 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. It tells us, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God, what's your will for my life? That I'd always be rejoicing, that I'd be praying without ceasing, and in everything, I would be giving thanks. Restaurant eating, no restaurant eating? Lord, I'm giving thanks, right? AC, no AC? Lord, I'm giving thanks, right? Whoever wins the election, Lord, I'm giving thanks to you. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 through 5, it tells us, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and in honor, not in passion of lust. Lord, what's your will for my life? To stay pure. To stay holy, to stay sanctified. That's the way you please God. That's the way you are obedient to the will of God. Hopefully you're there in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Lord, what sacrifices can I be making for you? Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Our whole lives are supposed to be a sacrifice for the Lord. We're supposed to be giving up sin and sacrifice to the Lord, giving up our flesh, our desires, our wants, our pride. Lord, 
This goes on the altar of sacrifice. Lord, I hope it's a sweet smelling aroma to you. Finally, Psalm chapter 51 verse 17, it tells us that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Lord, what can I sacrifice to you? Being broken over my sin. Lord, what can I sacrifice to you? Lord, being sad that I messed up again. Not hiding my sin, not concealing my sin, but bringing them out, casting them down, throwing them away, and saying, Lord, Lord, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Again, these family are the sacrifices that God is looking for. He's not looking for your money. He's not looking for your power. He's not looking for you to donate your house or your boat or anything like that. If you want to do that, hey, that's cool. That's between you and the Lord. But what he's looking for, it's a broken and contrite heart. He's looking for those who are willing to be that living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. We go back to Hebrews chapter 13. Then in verse 16, what a reminder to us. But do not forget to do good. And to share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Lord, what else can I sacrifice to you? Do good things to other people. Be merciful to other people. That's what God is saying. Again, when was the last time you did something for someone else without looking for something in return? That you didn't have a false motive, right? Hey, I'm going to do something for my kids so that I get more time with my grandkids, right? I'm going to do something for my family members so they feel bad so I can manipulate them so Christmas will be at my house, right? That's not doing good for people. I'm going to do this for this girl because I really like her. Maybe she'll notice me, right? That's not doing anything for the Lord. It's doing good to one another. Again, what's the context of this? The house of God, a church, people within the flock. When was the last time you did good for a brother or sister without looking for anything in return, family? And what's the second thing to do? To share. Again, this whole chapter, it started out with being hospitable to one another. Telling someone, hey, come over to my house. Or hey, come on, let's go eat outside Wendy's in the tent, right? I'll get you a Frosty because it's crazy hot outside, right? Are we being hospitable? Are we being loving to other people? Or is my walk with God about me and me alone, right? Jesus, I'm a Han Solo for you. I need nobody. No, that's not biblical. That's not God's word for us. Verse 17. Again, we only talk about this because this is where we're at in Scripture. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. Again, here it tells you to obey. It tells me to obey those who rule over you. The word rule there, it's really talking about someone who shepherds over you. And now there's denominations, there are false prophets that they take this scripture and they take it completely out of context. One of the only times in scripture where Jesus himself is saying something that he hates, it's the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And that was church leaders who would commandeer people's lives. Again, if you have someone, someone in the pastorship is telling you, hey, you're not allowed to buy a Lexus. You have to buy a Toyota. Again, warning signs should be going off. If someone's telling you, hey, you can't do this. You have to do this. You got to give me this. You got to. Did you ask me for permission before doing that? Those are alarms going off. That is not what a pastor or a shepherd should be doing. The sheep do not exist to bless and take care of the shepherd. The shepherd exists to take care of and to bless the sheep. That's the role of a pastor. And what does Jesus say? Hey, I am going to serve you. You want to be the leader? You want to be the top in the kingdom of God? You got to serve. Serve everyone. Be the lowest of the low. And family, that's the role of a pastor, right? When people say, hey, I want to be in church leadership, rarely it's because of that. Hey, I want to serve the whole flock. Those are the real ones. Usually it's, hey, the Lord... He's given me an anointing, right? My mama told me he gave me an anointing, right? And I could teach better than anybody else. God, he's given me the gift of teaching and I just want to teach. That's great. You can sign up for one of the Christian schools, right? But to be a pastor means that you're willing to lay your life down for the flock. 
Lay your life down for the sheep. So again, the full context here. Obey those who are willing to lay their lives down for you. Obey those who are willing to take care of you more than they're willing to take care of themselves. And be submissive to them. Because if this describes your pastor, if this describes your church leader, they are watching out for your souls as those who must give account. Guys, it's scary being a pastor. It's scary teaching the word of God because when I get to heaven, not only do I have to give account for Amanda and Levi and Ella and Luke, but I have to give an account to God for all of you. Zach, what did you do? What did you teach? Did you water this down? Did you puff this up? Did you go down a hobby horse? Did you go down a rabbit trail? Or did you stick to the word of God And allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. That's the way I got to carry on my shoulders. Man, what are the pastors doing? What are we doing? They're washing out for your souls, family. And I know the pastors here. None of them are getting paid an exorbitant amount. You don't have an amazing 401k or any program like that. There's no stock options here at Calvary Chapel, Miami. They just love you guys. They care about you guys. They cry over you guys. When you have prodigals, when your marriages are in trouble, man, they're hurt. Some of them, they can't sleep at night. So now, how do you treat them? Are you willing to be submissive to them? Are you willing to, when you come up for prayer and they, through the Lord, speak into your life simply God's word? Are you willing to take it and say, Lord, maybe they actually care about me, right? When you go to the doctor, what kind of a patient are you, right? Hey, Doc, I know you're telling me this, but I saw something on YouTube. (laughs) And I don't know if that's right, right? Are you willing to say, hey, man, I've been visiting you for a long time. You've taken care of me. You haven't tried to over-medicate me. You haven't tried to freak me out with things. So you kind of went to school for 12 years for this. So, man, I'm going to trust you on this one, right? How do you treat the pastors? Is it with joy or are you a grief to them, right? Because if you're a grief to them, who is it unprofitable for? Not for the pastor. Not for the leader. If you are a grief to them, it's unprofitable for you. You're doing yourself a disservice if you're constantly fighting. If you're constantly bucking. If you're constantly not listening to the counsel they give you. To the word of God that they give you. That would be unprofitable for you. And again, we're only reading this. We're only going through this. Because we're here. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Again, it's not a pastor who's trying to take rule over your life. Again, most of the pastors here, we're pretty gracious. The moment you say, thus says the Lord, or God told me X, Y, or Z, and it's not flat out sin, most of the time we'll take a step back. Even if we think this is a terrible idea. Because you say the Lord is speaking to you. Hey, you have a relationship with Jesus Christ because of the altar of the cross. And we'll probably be gracious enough that if it doesn't work out, we won't come back saying, hmm, the Lord, right? That was God. The first girl, the second girl, the third girl. Man, God, he's confused. Pobrecito, right? Most of the pastors, they won't come back telling you that. But again, thinking of a team, right? Are you a team player? Do you listen to the coach? Do you go with the program? Or are you constantly bucking? Hey, you know what would be better here, pastor? You know what would be better here, church leader? Hey, I know you're giving your life up. I know this service isn't being well attended. You know what would be a great idea? You got to pray. Again, start a church. Few people are willing to start a church. Many people are willing to give great ideas, right? And again, the guys here, we want to hear the ideas. But how can you really bless and strengthen The pastors, your church leaders, verse 18, pray for us. Pray for us. Family, I need your prayers. I think sometimes people feel bad and they say, man, I'm praying for you that you don't fall into sin. I'm saying, no, I want that. I want those prayers. All the pastors here, we want those prayers from you guys. We're men. We're men at best. We need your prayers. We need wisdom from the Lord to handle having a church in 2020. And what it looks like in America, in Miami, especially here, we need that wisdom. Lord, what do you want with these 10 acres? What do you want with the school? Lord, what do you want with young adults, with men's, with the couples? Lord, what do you want? That's our heart. So again, please pray for us. Verse 18, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. Again, that's our desire. 
We don't want to put a black eye on the Lord. We don't want to be, man, defiled. We don't want to be unqualified because of our sin and lifestyle and decisions to not be able to share the word of God with you guys. That's our heart. So please pray for us. But I, right, now look at this. It's been 13 chapters. This is the first time the author asks something for himself, right? But I especially urge you to do this that I may be restored to you sooner. Again, whoever the author is, he's desiring to go and be with this church within Jerusalem. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Again, the one who does the transformation and work within us, family, it's the Lord. Jesus is the one that will do that work. Our job is simply to abide. Abide with him. Abide and obey. You want to grow in your walk with the Lord? Abide and obey. The Lord is the one that's going to take care of the transformation process in your life. If you are willing to abide and obey, he will take over the transformation process. Because again, in our flesh, we cannot do it. We can't make ourselves complete or perfect, depending what your scripture says, right? We can't make ourselves complete. He is the one. He is the only one that can do it. So all we need to do is abide and obey. Stay close to Jesus. Stay in his word. Stay close to biblical teaching, sound doctrine, and obey. Obey whatever the Lord is convicting you to do because he's going to be the one that does it, right? He looks at Peter. He says, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. What's Peter most known for the next three years, right? Falling in the water, falling asleep, cutting a guy's ear off. But what happened afterwards through the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit? And one catch, 3,000 men come to the Lord. You look at Gideon. He's afraid. He's hiding. The angel of the Lord comes to him. He says, man, you mighty man of valor, right? Abide with the Lord, obey, allow him to do the work, allow him to do the transformation. Verse 22, and I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in few words, right? This is a short text, just three chapters, that's all, right? I've written to you in just a few words, know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you. And all the saints, those from Italy, greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. Right? He closes it up. Hey, say hi to one another. Be willing to say hi to one another. Be willing to say hi. Greet the pastors. Greet the other people within the flock. Don't just try to say 9 o'clock. Okay, what's the quickest time I can get home? Let me beat my record from last week, right? Stick around. Say hi. This is your family. This is your heritage. If you're in heaven, you're going to be stuck with us for the rest of eternity, right? <laughs> if you're not willing to say hi, if you're not willing to hang out now, hey, got to be willing to hang out with the family of God. 